We're in the final stages of what can only be described as the kind of handover lane in the great relay race that is the Old and the New Testament. I like being an American because now when I watch the last day of the Olympics, I can feel excited. <laughs> because the last day of the Olympics, if you're from any other place in the, in the world, it's like, okay, so we're gonna watch America win, and they win all of the relay races, and you know, it's the four by 100, and the four by 400, and the four, it doesn't matter how many hundred, they're gonna win every one of them. And, um, and now I can celebrate with everybody else, it's great. Hey. Eric Liddell, he was the only chap, but he wasn't in a relay. But anyway, um, thank you, yes, to, for Eric Liddell. Um, so, we have the Old Covenant, we have the Old Testament. We have all that was the preparation for the coming of the Son of God. And then we have the New Testament, all that is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. What does it mean for the Son of God to be among us, calling us to follow him and to imitate his life. What does that mean? How does that unfold? And certainly as we look at Luke and Acts, we'll begin to see some of the ways in which that can be significant and relevant for our own lives. But we have this little portion, this little handover lane where the baton of revelation is passed from the old covenant into the new. And there are particular characters who are given the responsibility of this handover lane. It's terrible, isn't it, when the, the baton is dropped. It's the only time that you're, you're ever going to lose is when you drop the baton between you and the next, next runner. The people who are going to be used in this handover lap are, are people like Elizabeth and Zechariah. And the two characters that we see today, again, older people who are given the blessing and the honor of heralding in the younger and the new. It's a wonderful theme here at the beginning of Luke's gospel that we'll look at a little bit more next week before we really head into the ministry of John and Jesus. Here we see in the passage that we'll read today in Luke chapter two, the last of these figures in this handover lane who take the baton of revelation and hand it on to those that will carry it forward. Simeon and Anna, these remarkable people, gifted by God to be used prophetically as heralds of the new thing. And so today, much of what it is that we'll look at together is understanding what it means to live a prophetic lifestyle. What does it mean for us to live a lifestyle that is bounded and infused and framed out by an understanding that it is the birthright of every Christian to hear the voice of God? What's it like for us to live not simply in the knowledge but in the daily faith and belief that when Jesus says he is the shepherd, and we're the sheep and the sheep hear his voice. He's not speaking theoretically, but he's speaking practically to us. You and I, his sheep, are able to hear his voice daily, momentarily. Every moment of the day, we can hear the voice 
of God addressing us personally. What's it like to live that life? We looked at it a little some weeks ago. We introduced this idea and, and we began to dig into what it might mean for us to really embrace this understanding. Today, we're going to dig a little deeper and we're going to do that as we simply engage the text and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. So let's read from Luke chapter two and verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of dubs, or two young pigeons. Right there at the very beginning of this little narrative, we have an insight into what's going on in the life of Mary and Joseph. The, the three wise men, the three sages from the East have not arrived yet with a great gift of gold. And so their economic conditions are the ones that we discover them in when we first encounter their story. These are people with very little by way of economic standing in the world. They, they, they don't have substance to their name. They don't have material blessings. They don't have prosperity that they can, that they can rest on. You see, in the law of Moses, it, said, it says, when a child is brought for consecration, when a son is circumcised on the eighth day, you're to give the sacrifice of a lamb. But if the family is very poor, then two doves or two young pigeons. So there's no question as to the economic status of Mary and Joseph at this stage in their life may well be that they prosper later on. I'm sure that that's true as Joseph gets the business going in Nazareth. But right now, they're desperately in need and they have very little by way of economic substance to lean upon. And this is true of so many of the characters that we will encounter in this gospel and in all of the others. We see at the beginning of this chapter, a portion of the chapter that we're not going to look at this week, largely because everybody in this room has been to one Christmas service in the past. And so you know the stories of the nativity and you know the stories of the shepherds and you know the stories of the wise men. But of course, the great thing about the shepherds is, as they're in the fields, I've been in those fields, there's still fields with sheep in today. When you are in those fields, the thing that you're most aware of is that you are overshadowed by this gigantic fortress on the horizon, the mausoleum, as it would be of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is still alive, of course, at this time. He doesn't die until AD 4. And so Herod the Great is alive and his overarching dominating control, crushing the life 
so often out of the poor in the land as he funds his capital campaigns to build his fortresses, to build the temple, to build the great works all the way through the Holy Land. This is, remember, a ruler who is second only to the great pharaohs of Egypt in his desire to build great monuments to himself and his glory. These shepherds are crushed by the economic burden of those taxes and they're standing and caring for their flocks in the shadow of this this symbol of their oppression. And in the midst of that, at the very margins of society, amongst people who, because they're unable to go to the synagogue on a regular basis, are not trusted in a court of law to give testimony. These shepherds become the witnesses of the heavenly host who come and tell them the good news of the birth of Jesus and they become the witnesses. The untrustworthy become the witnesses. The desperate become the blessed. The poor become the rich in the things of God. And so it is with Mary and Joseph. They only are able to offer two doves, two young pigeons, but they have in their arms the greatest gift of all. And here is Simeon, a man who has been waiting for the arrival of this young boy. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The old covenant is a covenant where the Holy Spirit is upon the people, not within the people. By the time we get to Luke's record of the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, we discover that the new covenant is so much greater than the old because the new covenant means that the Spirit of God comes and lives within every believer. And the symbol of his presence, the cloud by day and the fire by night comes upon each of the believers in the upper room because above their head is a little tongue of fire indicating that God's presence is within this temple. Amazing. But right now, they're in the handover lane between the Old and the New Testament. And those who live walking with the Lord are people upon whom the Holy Spirit rests rather than within whom the Holy Spirit abides. But Simeon still is preeminent among his peers and he is blessed among all of those who've been waiting for the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament because he's the one who sees it first. The consolation of Israel. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. 
He'd been moved by the Spirit. One of the things that we'll begin to see as we dig into the details of, of Luke's account is that the Spirit is very present in this narrative. The, the Spirit of God is very present in the people of this narrative. He's, he's very present in the ministry of Jesus. He's very present in the lives of the disciples. And as such, he is inviting us to consider what it would be like for him to be very present to us. What would it be like if we lived a naturally supernatural life where we were moved by the Spirit? Now, the translators of the New Testament, in using the word moved, are attempting to, to give us a, a word, an adjective that would... Excuse me, my voice gets dry whilst I'm up here. They're trying to give us an adjective, a, a, a verb, something that gives us a way of getting into what the text is saying because what the text actually says is this. Simeon in the Spirit. Simeon in the Spirit. It's as though, it's as though the cloud of God's presence, though unseen, is all around him, and as long as he stays within the presence of the Holy Spirit, he knows that he's moving with the Holy Spirit. He's, he's being, as it were, propelled by keeping observations of what it is that God is doing. He's moved in the Holy Spirit. He's, he's walking with, he's seeking to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and, and he goes on to say, Verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. He can die a happy man. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So here, Simeon gives us a little bit of the, the texture of what it's like to live a prophetic lifestyle. The Lord has spoken something to him and in speaking to him, he carries it within him. So there's an internal, there's an internal experience of the prophetic lifestyle. But eventually, what it is that he has encountered internally, he now experiences externally. My eyes have seen do you see that? What it is that he had heard, now he sees. And so to live the prophetic lifestyle is to hold in your heart the things that God is saying and then when you see it, you say it. When the external matches the internal, you then are free to share what it is that you see. So important that we learn not only the disciplines of this, but the joy of it. People who perhaps have been raised in a kind of functional cessationism, it's not very popular these days uh, to suggest that the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are no longer present because it's stupid. I mean... You know, the Bible makes it so obvious that these things are available to us. I mean, it's not like, it's not like you know, the things that, you'd have to, you'd have to leave out 60% of the New Testament. I mean, what is it you believe? 
If you don't believe that the Holy Spirit's doing the things that he did in the first century, it's just bonkers. So, so it's not particularly popular these days, but there's a lot of functional cessationism around, which is basically, well, you know, we know that they're there, but let's not talk about it. And the problem about that is, is that none of us grow as disciples. How are we supposed to grow in these things? If we don't talk about it, how, how are we supposed to develop as disciples who look like Jesus, who's quite obviously being moved by the Spirit and, and empowered by the Spirit? How are we supposed to function like the first disciples who quite obviously have been trained by Jesus to function in a sensitive way toward the Holy Spirit? How are we supposed to do that if we never talk about it? And so today we're going to talk about it. And we're going to do a little bit more than talk about it. We're going to do a little bit of practice in a minute. So strap yourselves in. <laughs> we've, had, um, we've had some fun over the years, Sally and I, when we've done some practice with people. You know, we've, you know, we're English people, so English people are so uptight in general. I mean, generally speaking, I'm allowed to say that I'm an English person, but generally they're uptight. And, um, and so, you know, we're a little bit kind of anal retentive when it comes to spiritual things. Kind of little... A little pinched, maybe a little, you know, kind of psychologically speaking, constipated. <laughs> and so it's a bit, tr it's a difficult to kind of help people get going, you know. So we're, we're praying and we're teaching people and we're saying, well, you know, they, they, let's just look at the way that the, that the carrots in the New Testament learned how to listen to the Lord. And we look at that and we have a go. And they say, well, let's just have to try it out. And boy, have we heard some fun stuff. It's just hilarious. We, we were at one church one time, a church from out in the middle of the country, but all of the people had moved to the country from the inner city of London, so they all talked like that. You know, you've, you've had the movies, haven't you? You know, where everybody talks like a cockney, all like that. All right, mate, yeah, great, yeah, lovely, yeah, fantastic. You know, and they're all, and uh, they're all gathered there, and, and I said, so, you know, is the Lord kind of sensing, are you sensing the Lord saying anything? And, and one of, the, one of the Sunday school teachers who's really well respected within the church stood up. She said, yeah, I've got a word from God. I think, anyway, I can see, and we're all sitting there because it's, it's hard not to giggle <laughs> when somebody's talking with what sounds like almost a kind of cartoon <laughs> accent. You know what I mean? And she says, uh, yeah, I, I see... I see in, in my mind, I see a flock of geese. And the geese are the church. And at the front of the geese is the vicar. Now, the vicar is the pastor in England, yeah? So I see the vicar at the front of the geese, and he's breaking wind for the rest of us. <laughs> And so everybody does that, what you just did. And she's, she can't work out why everybody's giggling because she thinks it's obvious, you know, because she, she's got it, you know, she's under, she says, and he's breaking wind for the rest of us and the rest of us are encouraging him to break more wind and so we're honking. And we're honking and he's breaking wind and it's marvellous in God's eyes. Well, by this stage, you know, people are 
in tears, you know, they're kind of wiping their eyes. And, and I, said to the, I said to the pastor, I said, well, pastor, what, what do you think to that? He said, and he's, he's in tears himself, but it's not tears of hilarity, it's, it's tears of conviction. He said, he said, the Lord's been speaking to me recently about leading the people more courageously. And he said, I just asked the Lord this morning, he said, if you'd just give me a little bit of encouragement from the people, I think I'd be able to do it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> amazing, amazing. And so it's, you know, crazy, crazy things. But these are the things that as we're learning, and of course that lady is not giving kind of prophetic words like that today. I'm sure she's much further on. But, <laughs> but, we're, but we're needing to make the early steps because as we stretch these spiritual muscles, it's going to be tricky for us at the beginning. What we can be absolutely sure about is that, is that the way that the prophetic works in our lives, though it is not empirical, you can't take a prophetic word or a, a prophetic sense and put it in a test tube or in a petri dish and say, that's what it is. It's not an empirical thing, but it is tangible. There's a difference, you see. The, the things that God is doing in your life, they, they're tangible. You know that it's God. Let me just give you this quick example. How many of you know that you've been loved in your life? Five, six, seven. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, like everybody. Now, is love empirical? Now, the neuroscientists might be saying, well, we're getting close. It's not empirical. You can't put love in a test tube and say that's what it is. And yet, every person in this room knows that love is tangible. So it is with the way that God speaks to us. And, and Paul, who of course is deeply connected to Luke, Paul gives us an indication of what this internal and external reality looks like. Simeon is here, he's saying, I've heard these things in my heart and now I've seen them with my eyes. It's a tangible reality. Paul puts it like this, he says in his first letter to, to the churches that he's writing to in Galatians chapter five, he says, he says the, the fruit of the spirit who lives within you the fruit is tangible. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. These things are tangible in your life. You know when you don't have peace. It's a tangible reality. You know when you feel joyful. It's a tangible reality. You know the difference between love and no love. And so you can know what it's like to experience the, the fruit of the Spirit in your life, who is the one who within us is speaking and is revealing to us and confirming to us by, by what it is that's outside of us, what it is that he's saying to us. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the fall and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against 
so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's an interesting thing that as we see the ministry of the prophetic being, as it were, handed over to the new covenant, there's a new way and a new tone that prophecy takes. So often when you, when you talk to people, they'll tell you that a person that is prophetic, in quotes, is usually quite a challenging person. In fact, often more than just challenging, what they mean by a prophetic person is a person who's likely to start critiquing what it is that you're doing and thinking and saying. And so the prophetic person is so often a person that you don't really want to hang around because you've heard that they're prophetic and so you think, well, you know, I'd like to be slightly more encouraged today. Well, that may be true. It's not a fully working theory, even for the Old Testament, but it may be true when you reference the great prophets of the Old Covenant, but that's not what we're talking about in the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, Prophecy was restricted to just a few people. In the Old Covenant, prophecy was, was restricted to just a few in the same way that the anointing of God was restricted to just a few prophets and priests and kings. But in the New Covenant, as Peter will say, and as Luke records in Acts chapter two, as Peter says on the day of Pentecost, what used to be restricted to just a few people is now available to all those who call upon the name of the Lord. So everybody who knows the Lord because of the saving work of Jesus is now included in the prophetic ministry of God. Peter puts it like this, he says, the spirit of the Lord will come upon all people, young and old, male and female. Nobody's excluded. Every person that knows Jesus is a sheep that's able to hear the shepherd's voice. Every person who knows Jesus is a person who is included in the prophetic work of God. No one is excluded. And here's the thing. Not only is the extent of prophecy now completely different, whereas before it was quite an exclusive group, now it's everybody that's included. Now the tone is somewhat different too. Look with me if you have the opportunity to do so at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1. I've said this before and of course it's worth reminding ourselves from time to time. Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers did not write in chapters and verses. They were put in later so that we could find our way around the Bible. And so what Paul is writing here flows directly in what it, from what it is that he said in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is the great chapter on love. 1 Corinthians 12 is the great chapter on the gifts of the Spirit. And so he's, he's connecting with what it is that he said in chapter 12 and what it is that he said in chapter 13. And here at the beginning of chapter 14, he says, follow the way of love, and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Why would God 
tell us through the apostle to eagerly desire gifts that he was never going to give us. Nobody would do that. Jesus says this, which of you fathers whose son asks for bread gives a stone? Will he not therefore be ready to give you good gifts? The gifts of the spirit are not are not the things for the super spiritual. The gifts of the Spirit are not something that is like a medal that you wear on your chest. You say, well, I've got three of them. They're not very big ones. Gift of mercy, hospitality, giving. I always feel sorry for the people who get the, the gift of giving. God bless you. Wow. That must be really awesome. Well, it is really awesome, but, but what I mean is simply this. So often, our understanding of the gifts of the Spirit is, is built upon a premise that is entirely inappropriate and un, unhelpful. It's built on this idea that is a misinterpretation of the passage that God is somehow giving individual gifts to individual Christians rather than what the text actually says, which is this. The Holy Spirit is manifest in the house church, because he's writing to house churches. The, the, The Holy Spirit is manifest in the house church and different parts of the house church are manifesting the Spirit in different ways on different days and in, in different expressions of his presence. And that means that you can get to express whichever of the gifts he wants to express in you today. How about that? How cool is that? The word phanerosis, which we translate as manifestation. Phanerosis means the light within that begins to be seen without. Manifestation, which draws on our Latin roots within our language, which means the dancing hand. But it's much more something that's, that's being manifest from within. These gifts, Paul says, are gifts of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's within you and he brought his whole tool bag with him when he entered your life. How about that? And it's up to him which tools he gets out of the tool bag, not up to you or up to the pastor. And so eagerly desire that he gets all of the tools out. Just pours them out on the floor and says, do you want the hammer today or do you want the, I mean, what do you want? Eagerly desire all of them. Well, God, I'd really like a word of wisdom today. Good. I've got one of them. Well, Lord, I've tried the word of wisdom. What about gift of miracles? Sure. Let's try that. And then this is what the Lord says. Look what, look what the Lord says here in, the, in this passage, because it's really amazing. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Especially the gift of prophecy. Eagerly desire, especially the gift of prophecy. And then he goes on to say, for because he's been speaking about tongues in chapter 12, for everyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Now, you would think 
that our normal descriptions of prophecy would be that those who speak prophecy speak prophecies for other people's criticism, judgment, and doom. But that's not what prophecy is. Prophecy has an entirely different tone in the new covenant. It's shared amongst all of God's people. It's something that's expressed within the body of Christ. Of course, it is made manifest in particular ways, in particular people as they develop and strengthen the ministry of prophecy. We'll talk about that another day. But the gift is something that's available to everybody. And what is the gift used for? It's used for strengthening, encouragement and comfort. What about dear old Mary and Joseph? Are they strengthened by what it is that Simeon is saying to them? You bet they are. Are they encouraged? Of course. Are they comforted? They're going to face challenges just in the next little while. Herod the Great will come after Jesus. They're going to need to be strengthened in their journey to Egypt. They're going to have all kinds of opposition. They're going to have all kinds of difficulties come their way. They're going to need courage to fulfill what it is that God is calling them to do. So, of course, they're going to need to be encouraged. And and when the day comes and Mary's soul is pierced by the sword of loss, when she sees her son on a cross and she takes his body down and wraps his body in strips of cloth just like she did when he was born and laid in a manger and her soul is pierced with that sword. Do you think she'll need comforting then? Of course she will. And so the word is given to her to strengthen and to encourage and to comfort her and Joseph. This is the most wonderful thing to offer another person. To strengthen and encourage and comfort them. Last week, we, um, we did some time of healing at the end of the service. Those of you here will remember. And the Lord had me, as he often does, just kind of lead out ahead of where it is that the congregation that I'm teaching uh, needs to get to. So uh, this week, we're talking about the prophetic thing. And, and last week, the Lord gave me just a couple of little insights to get the healing thing started. And I had a couple of uh, insights about particular conditions in the first service and particular conditions in the second service. I don't know which one was which, but, but it was really interesting meeting people after the service who came up and testified to healing, their throats being healed, One person came to me and said, "Um, I was the one with the pelvis thing. And I said, oh, right. And they said, but I I felt too ashamed to go forward for prayer. And I said, there's no need to feel shame. None of us are worthy of the Lord doing anything in our life. And this, this dear person said, I, I know that, 
as I was, as I was saying that to myself and, and conflicted about coming forward, I, I got a particular passage of scripture and that particular passage of scripture just released my heart and I felt this tingling sensation come down through my body and, and through my pelvis and into my thighs and they said, I don't know whether I'm healed but it feels like it. It's kind of cool, isn't it? In the service right before this one and as far as I know they're not closer to God than you are. What we did is what we're going to do right now. And we just said, okay, well, if this is for real, then let's just ask the Lord and see if he'll give us some prophetic words about what it is that the Lord wants us to respond to at the end of the service so that we can pray for one another. It was so cool. People who'd never spoken in church spoke this morning. One lady, way up there. I mean, I, are you dizzy up there? I, I remember when, it, when we were here incognito. It's not designed for tall people, you know. The, I stood up to worship and I nearly fell over. I mean, it's like, wow. Somebody needs to give me a rope or something. So, um, so this person, they stood up and they just shared. It was fantastic. And then there was another word that kind of went on the back of that and then it was just cool Simeon shares his words with Mary and Joseph and then a lady called Anna in the Old Testament she'd be called Hannah she was 84 years old she'd been widowed after seven years of marriage and lived in the temple for the whole of her life. She heard what Simeon said and she too began to speak to everyone in the temple. Things, Jesus says, are confirmed by two or three witnesses. Paul, in the chapter that we just looked at, in verse 27 says, two or three prophets should speak. When we gather in the mornings for prayer, the worship team and and we just pray together and, and then at the end we just say, okay, is there anything that the Lord's saying to us this morning? It's so exciting to hear because it strengthens and encourages and comforts and it might well be the preacher who needs it at that point. So let's just have a, a moment. We've got a few minutes on the clock. Let's just have a moment. and We'll maybe see if there's two or three people have something that the Lord wants to say to us that we need to respond to today. Maybe it's, maybe it's a particular condition of healing. Maybe it's a particular challenge we face. Maybe it's something that will help us in our journey down the road. So let's just have a quiet moment. Let's allow the Lord to speak. Okay, so it's hard for me with the lights to see folks, 
Bethany was, I think, trying to indicate to me earlier that, but of course she's behind me, so I wouldn't have been able to see her anyway, but she was trying to tell me about something earlier. Um, Anybody just have a sense that the Lord might be saying something to them? We just share with other people. I know, it's, I know it's stretching us beyond our normal comfort zone. That's fine. That's how you grow, isn't it? Oh, here we go. Young lady at the back, tell us your name and share with us what it is that the Lord's saying and then we'll go here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Very good. That's very good. Tell, remind me of your name again? Elise. Elise. So Elise, just so I can pass it on, because you, you up there probably couldn't hear any of that. So Elise was saying, she came in a bit discouraged this morning, sat in the back. You know, we're going through all these transitions and all of that, and she looked down and she saw this area of, of pews down here with nobody sitting in them, and she heard the Lord say, making space making space for the new faces that we've not seen before and people that won't look like Elise and people that'll be different from maybe us and how hard it is for people to come into a place where everybody kind of knows each other and it's all hunky-dory and it's all easy and it's hard for new people to come in. And so that's a great word, isn't it? That's a strengthening and an encouraging and a comforting word. Yeah. Again, tell everyone your name and just share what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Because I can plan, we can all plan. Yeah. And God can change that in an instant. Mm-hmm. But he is trustworthy in So Elizabeth was saying, and it's interesting she said this, it kind of following on from the other one. And that's what Paul's saying. She said, Two or three prophets will speak, the others will weigh. Following on from the other one. Things are confirmed by two or three witnesses. She's saying, God is trustworthy. And he will guide us in a way that is entirely trustworthy. We can trust him even if we don't understand the journey. Marvelous word. Well, Paul says two or three prophets will speak. Is there anything else that we could hear today? Right there, way at the back again. Tell us your name and what it is you want to say.
Yeah. Cool. I love that. She saw, for those of you who couldn't hear, she saw geese in the sky. And the right, no, no, it wasn't that. So, so she, saw, she saw this fantastic picture of ash falling, which of course would suggest perhaps some kind of a disaster. But as she looked carefully, it was petals falling onto the ash. And instead of Instead of it being awful, it was like snow angels being formed in the ash and a whole new thing. And it felt like a kind of joyful, celebratory, kind of new beginning kind of thing. Is that the right way to interpret that? A wonder and a light and a breakthrough. Marvelous. A little bit like Aletheia uh, getting the sense that the song Breakthrough is for us today. So... So are you discouraged today? Now you might be saying, well I was, but now I'm told I'm not supposed to be. So <laughs> obviously not. I mean honestly, uh, you know, you, you, you came in, uh, are you discouraged today? And do you need the Lord to, as it were, minister these words to you, to, to, to help you receive these words in your heart? that he's in the business of doing a new thing in your life. He's in the business of, of, changing, of changing what was ashes into dancing, into a joyful season in your life where the previous season has been hard or difficult or dark. If today you need the Lord's word of encouragement then during the time that the, the band lead us in, in praise, I'd encourage you to come forward. And if today that encouragement is because you're starting back at work, you're starting back at school, whatever it is, then come for that. If it's encouragement in other areas of work, in your family, with your children, in your marriage, it doesn't matter where you need the encouragement. Just recognize that that's what the Lord wants to do and recognize that he wants to do that through his people as you come and have them pray over you.